0: Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension here in a kind of a chilly Macomb, Illinois today. For being the first week of August here in 2020, you'd think it'd be a little warmer. It feels feels like fall right now. We had the kids outside doing some, some schoolwork and they all requested hoodies and jackets. And so Even though it's chilly, it's still pretty nice out, and I think we're all enjoying it. And of course, we have a great show for you today, folks. We are talking about turf grass. Uh, So most folks, if you own a home, more than likely, you have a lawn at that home to take care of, to mow, to seed, to fertilize. And we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that today. And I can't do this by myself. Of course, as always, we do have local foods educator Katie Parker from Adams County. Hello, Katie. Hey Chris. Hello Katie and is it just as cool in the Adams County area as it is up in the McDonough County area?
1: It was pretty chilly this morning. Um, it's warmed up. I think we're like mid 70s now uh, but yeah it's like a beautiful fall day outside.
0: I know our windows are open. The air is off and it feels wonderful right now.
1: Could get used to it.
0: Definitely. I Well we might have to move to like I don't know, Northern California, Washington State, you know, places like that, I suppose. But I like it here in Illinois. I like my corn sweat. And, of course, we have horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hello, Ken.
2: Hello, Chris. I also enjoy corn sweat.
0: (laughs) I mean, you just breathe (laughs) it in deeply, gets a few coughs out of you, you know. Is that asthma? Is that corn sweat? You know, we... We're not
2: quite sure right now. When I I lived in Florida, I did not realize how much I missed seeing corn as far as the IC until I moved back to Illinois.
0: Yep. And, you know, Illinois, we don't have much, but we do
2: have flat
0: fields. And I will say, as a natural resource, the sky between horizon to horizon is probably one of the best features here in central Illinois. And... To top it all off, we have our special guest today. We have Richard Henschel, horticulture educator here at U of I Extension. And Richard, he serves the DuPage, Kane, and Kendall counties. Hello, Richard.
3: Good greetings to everybody.
0: So Richard, uh, up in the northern, northeastern, we'll say, part of Illinois there, Um, A lot of folks often reference your three counties as like the Collar Counties around Cook County. Where where are you located right now?
3: Well, like so many of us, uh, working from home, so that means Aurora, Illinois. Um, And by the way, uh, I think I win on the uh, temperatures. It's about 65 degrees here right now with us. Oh, that's jacket weather. So what is
0: tonight going to bring you? Is it going to be a chilly night? Well, I'm
3: pretty sure I'm pretty sure I haven't heard any frost warning, so we're good. That's good.
0: Yeah, I don't think we need to cover tomatoes or peppers or anything. actually, they might they might be enjoying this little reprieve in some of the the hot temperatures we had. I think it was last week, I think last weekend, right, folks, um, we were talking about just how hot it was on the weekend. Ken was working on his porch and he uh, had to take you know multiple showers that day, just of all the the sweat and grime from that.
2: Yes, it was it was
0: gross out. Yep, folks. If you want to know more about those details, you can email Ken at his email.
2: I <laughs> probably don't want
0: to know about. It. You're here for gardening questions. And we're going to be talking about lawns. So, Richard, um, you know, you and I, we both uh, we do master gardener trainings. We we teach the uh, turf grass portion uh, typically uh, both in person if it wasn't 2020, and uh, we'll probably be doing an online version of that here next year. so um, Richard and I have, have worked closely together over the years talking about turf grass. So folks we are going to be uh, getting to your questions here in just a little bit. These were questions that were sent to our extension office or those that were sent directly to us um, when we send out the social media request. So Richard, can you give me a little bit of your background. you've been on the show before but you know why turf grass? Why is this an interest for you?
3: Well, my background is uh, pretty much uh, horticulture in general and then kind of specializing in woody ornamentals. And um, part of my one or more of my positions over the years has always got me involved with green, uh, 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 greens on uh, golf courses and golf courses in general. So turf has just become one of those things that, uh, if you will, I'm known for. Um, and and I had the opportunity through an Indiana Illinois Sea grant grant to uh, work on and update our extension uh, lawn talk website. So I've just always been involved with with turf, um, much more so on the homeowner side the past few years and commercially. But I've in the past also
2: worked with sod, sod producers. So uh, that's kind of the background on on uh, turf grass. So admittedly, I am not a turf person. Uh, for my yard, if it's, if it's green, it's good enough. But so hypothetically speaking, if I was a turf person, um, and since my yard is more weeds than it is grass, um, what could I do to get my lawn looking like my neighbors or, or people who would hire kind of companies to take care of those, that nice green, lush, even landscape? Well, that's, uh, some, some, um, I guess some factors go into that.
3: I always use kind of the 50% rule. If your lawn is more than 50% weeds, you're probably due to just do a uh, a do-over and renovate the whole yard. Start from the beginning. If it's less than, say, that 50% or there's areas that are in good shape but others that aren't, uh, then we might do some uh, selective renovation. Um, it's the weeds that you really are concerned with as you go to renovate or redo the lawn, you want to make sure they're they're totally gone before you uh, uh, resod or even reseed, uh, so that when in the end what you have is a much nicer looking uh, uh, lawn than than what you started with. It takes about two seasons of good. Focused uh, management on a seeded lawn to really make it look like it was sodded. So that takes a little more effort But even if you don't do the if you don't do the good prep uh, That's necessary for even sod you have weeds uh, coming up through the joints in the sod. You will have perennial weeds like Dandelions and other things actually come through the sod. So it's really important that we do that good that that good prep um, if the lawn's reasonably good, less, way less than that 50% weed count, and, and, and that's just still unacceptable. Uh, focusing on getting the lawn healthy and competitive before you take a product to control the weeds is, is critical.
0: And, and Richard, I think, was it you that have always said, it also depends how fast people drive by your house, uh, depending on how much weeds would be uh, acceptable. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I call, uh, you know, I chuckle, but I call that you've got a yard that's a 55 mile an hour lawn. Looks good at 55. Walk the lawn off the sidewalk and it doesn't look so good.
2: Yeah, I think my lawn's about a 100 mile an hour lawn. (laughs) So so one thing, one question I do have about lawns is that the house we have, we have a real kind of lumpy, uneven yard. We got a lot of divots and stuff. Um, when you're kind of out there playing with the kids and running around, you're almost afraid you're going to break your ankles. So not being a turf person, what is, what's something we can do to kind of level that out a little bit and not destroy our ankles? <laughs> well,
3: obviously for a lot of people, they think about taking a, a lawn roller and trying to l- roll down the high spots to match the low spots. And that really isn't the direction we should head. It's more about bringing up the low spots to match the high spots because just crushing down the high spots causes compaction in the lawn, which will drive uh, more weeds and other things to show up. So we're really talking about uh, top dressing out those parts. you can you can top dress several times a season as long as it's light and usually bringing up the lawn takes more than a season to get that accomplished but as you do that uh, you are uh, creating because you've top dressed with the good soil you're creating an environment that's really going to favor the lawn to come back and grow up in those low areas if there's a substantial large area that's low Uh, some folks have uh, rented or used a sod cutter and cut their existing lawn out brought in enough soil and put the sod back down um, to to level it out one of the i guess i'll share a caveat here is that usually um, we have the idea that uh, uh, we've had all these trees deciduous and evergreens dying over the past uh, four or five years from the heavy, heavy drought we had in 2012, and as though, and we may have rotted out the stump, but all those massive roots that might be six, eight, ten inches in diameter finally begin to rot. They collapse, and they that can create quite a bit of this unevenness in the yard. So if it's something that's kind of happened over the last short few years uh, that may be the reason and, and nothing else and there's not a lot we can do with that until the roots totally collapse and we can fill in those uh, low spots and you got a clue that that's what's going on because the low spots will run above where the root was so they're they're in runs they're just not a random spot
1: now Richard I just moved into a new house and our lawn needs some rehab, um, so we have some bare spots throughout the yard. We also have some weeds uh, that we want to control. And so we moved in in late May. Uh, so right away, we started trying to fill in those bare spots, but we quickly figured out if we missed any um, sprinkler or watering of the lawn. Uh, our, our grass died quickly. So that's something that we're going to Try to take care of this fall. Um, what all should we do to rehab our yard?
3: Well, fall can fall can actually be a, a, a I won't say a better time, but it's an easier time uh, when you try to reseed in the spring, and you're going to be fighting the summer weather, which is just going to get hotter and hotter as the summer goes along. And our grasses that we sow are typically cool season grasses in Illinois. So you're going against nature in terms of its uh, preferred environment where in the fall if we sow somewhere between probably the middle of August through the middle of September, it might very differ a little bit where you are. Um, You're going into cooler, wetter weather, the kind of weather that the grasses really like and really enjoy. So it's an easier time for us in terms of management. Uh, Take those bare spots. They ought to be worked up and slightly roughened so that as the grass seed germinates, it can immediately get its little root radical right down into the dirt. And that is a great way to get the grass uh, grass seed started. The other um, point that you mentioned is the water. Uh, grass seed should be watered frequently but very lightly. Grass seed doesn't come with any level of protection. So if you over water it and the soils are overly wet, chances are the seed may rot before it ever gets a chance to germinate. So we want a frequent light watering on that. And, and uh, as they, as you will begin to see that green peach fuzz, if you will, show up in the yard. Um, and the grass grows and fills in more and more then our frequent light waterings can kind of be backed off and then you're going to think about watering the newer spots like you'd water your regular lawn which would be infrequently but more deeply and then uh, mow the lawn just as soon as it needs to be mowed because that helps the plant thick the grass plant thicken up by generating uh, rhizomes or or, uh, tillers Um, at the crown of the grass plant depending upon what you've sown.
1: Now I've seen like some people use grass plugs. Is that something that you could do in the fall too or can you do that pretty much year-round?
3: If we're talking about grass plugs we're probably addressing they're really uh, warm season grasses, I'm going to guess, and it is a guess, Zoisia grass, and those are often started with plugs or sprigs. Um, and seeing as they like uh, the hot weather, that's their favorite time of year. Um, sprigging in the, the, the mid to late summer is a perfectly adequate time. There's plenty of heat for it to get established. Warm season grasses, uh, though, will go dormant pretty Pretty early, so you want to get the plugs in while they can still establish themselves before any kind of cool weather shows up, because they're gonna they're likely to go dormant uh, very quickly at that point.
0: Okay, Richard, I have a question as well. Now, we have talked multiple times about organic matter and lawns, but I have also moved into a new place, and and everyone around me in my neighborhood bags their lawn clippings. Now, I've always returned it to the lawn. Am I doing something wrong here? Can I just mulch these back into the lawn or should I be bagging them up? Chris,
3: um, one of the, I guess, uh, tenets of trying to get to the point where your lawn becomes sustainable in the sense that uh, Mother Nature is taking care of it in a very good way along with what we supplement with. Uh, Grass clippings um, ought to be returned to the lawn. Um, Newer mowers have uh, combinations of being able to mulch or discharge. Um, If you can mow your lawn often enough that those clippings just get cut up several times and sift back into the soil, that is typically in terms of nutrition worth about a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet a year that's free. We haven't done it. We haven't had to add that. We haven't had to buy that. We haven't had to expend our dollars out of our back pocket. So uh, returning the clippings in terms of a source of nitrogen for the lawn is a good thing. And perhaps even more importantly, to your point, uh, organic matter, and that's what those green lawn clippings are, that organic matter, as it decomposes, provides uh, carbon into the soil profile. And that carbon has to be there if we expect a lot of uh, microflora, a lot of microbial activity in the soil. And microbes in the soil work in a kind of symbiotic relationship with our grass roots. Uh, they get something from the grass plant but in return the grass plant gets a lot of nutrition and potentially some disease protection from that microbial life so um, the returning the clippings is a great thing. You get a little extra food for free and, and um, you are really trying to and you really are building a better microbial profile in the soil.
0: Well, that may, I,
3: I feel better now. I'm just going to keep doing what I have been doing.
0: Uh, and just I'm going to mow as often as I can. And uh, as
3: you say, keep those blades sharp and keep it mowed high. That is, that is a good way to do that and a good thought process. And I would probably add to this subject that organic matter also is a great way to conserve, absorb, and hold soil moisture in the soil profile. So a yard that has about... Or one percent. Let's say it's a. You have a one percent organic matter content in your yard. Um, that one percent of organic matter will hold about a third of a gallon of water per per cubic foot. And the more organic matter, the more water is held. And when you have a good organic matter content in the ground, even if we have a drought, a temporary drought that say only lasts 10 days, 14 days, headed up to maybe even 21 days, there is enough moisture naturally in the soil that your lawn doesn't even know we haven't had any rain. And that allows it to stay greener longer than than the neighbors, so to speak, that don't. Uh, have that same level of organic matter and you mentioned some very key things you mow high you uh, mow often with a sharp mower blade that's kind of a great mantra to scribble on the on the shed wall every time you go in to mow the lawn those are just all things that help the lawn stay healthy and stay alive and green longer during the growing season
0: as I train my, my three young sons to mow the lawn, we will uh, have them memorize that mantra there uh, before they ever get on that, that mower. We'll indoctrinate a whole culture. Uh, or generation. That's right. <laughs> well, very good. Well, those were, were some of our questions because, of course, folks, like I said, we all have lawns, and so we all um, would like to... Ask these questions of Richard uh, more often, but Richard's a pretty busy guy up in in north Northern Illinois there. So, uh, we're happy that you were able to be on the show. Now, Richard, would you mind answering some homeowner questions as well? Absolutely. Let's let's go for it. All right. Fantastic. So this first one comes from Sam, and uh, he is in Knox County. So. He has a lawn grass, or I, I guess I should say, he has a weed grass that looks like nimble will. He sent me a picture, and that's what it looked like. He said it's taking over his lawn, kills out the good grass. He wants to know what can he do to stop it.
3: Well, if with your good ID in terms of a confirmation, and and we're talking, if we're if indeed we're talking about nimble will, nimble will is. A actually kind of a warm season perennial grassy weed in our cool season lawns, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, the fact about warm season grasses, nimble will will be slow to green up in the springtime, and you can find it as these straw patchy colors in an otherwise green lawn in the springtime, and then they're they're. Uh, um, some of the first to go dormant, although they don't get the straw color in the fall, but they're one of the first ones to go dormant amongst your Kentucky bluegrass lawn. The management problem here is going to be because our favored grasses, typically Kentucky bluegrasses, and our wool are both considered perennial grasses. So there is no selectivity here. There's no way to treat one without damaging the other. your your efforts really need to be, if it's again in a larger concentrated area, uh, the consideration of, of mechanically digging it up and uh, waiting a while and putting soil back in and then waiting a while to see if it returns before you do anything else is one approach. Um, uh, chemically, we're talking about using some version of a of a uh, typically a systemic herbicide um, to, to manage the nimble will. Um, if you ever um, go out and kind of play with the nimble will, you'll see that it has a relatively weak root system. It's all stringy, but it all ends up back at this very weak area. Um, and so if the patches are small, one of the things you can do is literally um, you know, kind of a uh, you're, you're not necessarily digging it out but you're, you're pulling it out and seeing what's left. Uh, you also need at the same time you're um, helping minimize its presence by pulling it out. You also should be making the efforts to promote other grasses to move in and, and make it competitive. Uh, there's something missing here in this in the in the whole picture about why the nimble will continues to expand and take over the yard versus our our more desirable grasses. There's something culturally going wrong. There's perhaps uh, a soil issue. Uh, There's maybe um, the wrong nutrition in the ground to really promote uh, bluegrass. Maybe it's compacted soils, which sometimes is a factor for nimble will and some of our other weeds. So do we we need to eliminate all those other factors before we decide we have to maybe make some major effort to get rid of the get rid of the nimble will chemically. You
0: know, Ken, I think we were talking before and that's one of the weeds. We don't really mind weeds in our yard, but I think, Ken, if, if that was the right one that you had mentioned, nimble will is the one that really bothers us. It's the, the texture difference. And I'll also say for me, yellow nutsedge. Those are like, I don't care about violets, dandelions, but for some reason, nimble will and yellow nutsedge just
2: get to me yes nimble will is on my short list of, of weeds i do one of the few weeds i do not like in our yard and i know for my yard it's it's slowly taking it over so i may i may be in this boat soon where i need to do something about it chris you mentioned
3: uh nutsedge at least for nutsedge you know there is a selective control product for that so if that's what's in your yard uh, at least you have a chance of, of getting rid of it and leaving the good grass uh, alone. But I will go back to the fact that sedge is there because of an environmental uh, soil condition. Um, they're able to thrive and reproduce because the soil conditions are such. Um, the, other, the other factor that gets into nutsedge is uh, the sooner you deal with it, the better off you are. Because if you allow the plants to mature, uh, they have created these little nutlets in the soil which is part of its name um, and you can pull out the uh, mature plant but when you do so that leaves behind the nutlet just to resprout and come right on back. So um, if it's just started in your yard um, and you literally find it as a young little seedling you can pull it out and no harm no foul you've not left any nutlets behind but if you let that weed mature for a while uh, and then pull it out, which is easy enough to do. Uh, chances are you've left that nutlet, and there's way more than just one. Let me put it that way, too. There are many per plant, several. Uh, and there. It's just there to come right on back. It can lay dormant in the ground for a number of seasons, and all of a sudden in the spring for you just show up. Uh, that's because the dormant nutlet has been in the soil previously. You can also bring it in with top dress material, too. That, that, that actually happened when I was
0: interning at missouri botanical garden i think that's why i have such a hated relationship with it is because their their leaf mold mulch that they use in all of their their planting beds ha, was totally infested with yellow sedge that year and i as an intern you know what interns do at a garden we weed and that's that we do that all day so i think that's why i don't like that weed very much
2: i don't know if for Nibblewell and some of the other grassy weeds and cool season turf. Musatryon um, tenacity is labeled for use in that. I don't know if that's restricted use or not. Well, for I can share that uh,
3: um, those are applied by the commercial turf industry uh, selectively in yards where they have, say, patches of tall fescue or patches of uh, quack. And it seems to work, but you're right. It is an expensive... Uh, application and uh, along with that sometimes there's a temporary yellowing of the lawn where that material is applied so um, it's not cannot really be sometimes it's not really popular with the homeowner either they don't want the grassy weed but then they don't want their lawn yellowed, yellowed out temporarily either
0: yeah that, I think that's the that mode of action with mesotrione the active ingredient and tenacity is um, it's like a bleaching effect and basically our desirable grasses are just a little bit more resistant to that um to, to that effect and the, the weed grasses are more susceptible so and i do know folks who have used that it's expensive and you do have to be very careful with your rate because if you just do a little bit if you do like too much then that will be enough to um basically kill off all the chlorophyll uh, even in say your Kentucky bluegrass or some of your
3: desirable lawn grasses. So it sounds like uh, if that's what we want to try to do or if that's what a homeowner wants to do, they might uh, uh, enlist a, a professional lawn care service to provide that treatment um, and with some assurances that, uh, you know, the bluegrasses and other desirable grasses will indeed survive. Yeah, and then the, the, the cultural things too of making sure that
0: you kill that weed, and it's like Richard said with my yellow nut sedge. So, okay, I go out and I spray it with like a yellow nut sedge. I, I only know the product names because there's Bentazone. So, bentazone, yep. Well, the product names are so clever, it's hard not to say them, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> someone got right. a, a big raise that year when they came up with that product name. Um, if people are wondering, uh, Sedge Hammer, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, how can nut, you go wrong yeah. with that? But uh, we, we tend to operate on active ingredients because that tells us, the horticulturists, more about what's within that bottle as opposed to a product name. Um, Good point. Yeah, but if I spray that's, that yellow nutsedge and I don't alleviate it, in my case, it's really just compaction, really bad compaction, poor drainage. It's just going to come right back or I'm going to get a different weed. So making sure that
2: I'm remedying that situation for long-term competition for my turf grass. All right, our next question comes from Nicole in McDonough County. She wants to know about how to transition to less lawn and have more native plants. Well, Ken, that question
3: is a good one. Of course, you're talking to somebody that likes lawn, so I may not have the best answers, but uh, it's not a bad idea, uh, especially in areas that aren't uh, maybe where your lawn is not really doing well anyway. Uh, A lot of times it's those shadier areas on deeper underneath the tree canopy. Uh, shade from a neighbor's home, shade from uh, uh, trees that say if you park yourself, if your home and lawn is up next to a park district or a forest preserve, uh, and that sunshade pattern changes over the years, and I can share with you that it absolutely will. Trees are dynamic, they get taller, they get wider, so the sunshade pattern does change. Um, Transitioning from a lawn that you struggle to maintain at any degree of quality underneath the shade of those trees or in the shade pattern uh, going to uh, whether they're native or otherwise uh, shade loving perennials um, this is uh, this can be a very good choice it you know there's no point in every week you continuing to make the wheel marks through the mud through the dirt um, get to the other side where the better grass is as long as you um, you know that that's a, a very good indicator that maybe you should be considering um, something besides lawn lawns grow into about 50% shade and every percent lower than that or more than that I should say uh, the lawns do less and less uh, well to the point where uh, or if you see algae if you see moss uh, those are those are also moisture questions or moisture potential problems but the point is when you see things other than grass um, maybe it's time to consider moving into one of those one of those kinds of perennials or native perennials that uh, tolerate the shade Uh, there's no harm about trying to mow less Um, my uh caution with folks that are always trying to do that is just recognize that uh, you hear how about how easy going and easy perennials or natives are to manage you still have to get them established well enough so that they're actually competing and winning out over uh, a lot a lot of undesirable weeds and other things in that native planting so um, as long as there's an understanding that in the beginning, that might take two to three years to happen. You have to de- be able to dedicate and schedule the time in that newer bed um, to get that up and, and competitive. One of the um, things that I've always I've done in our,
0: our last two places we've lived and I've had to mow is I think it's a good idea to just mow that yard for at least one growing season. That way you can begin to strategize and plan how if you're going to take out yard like you know decommission part of your lawn how would that make your mowing maybe easier or you know you don't have to back up or you don't have to get the string trimmer out uh so you know smooth curves or avoiding acute angles where say a, a garden bed meets a patio when you know that that thin strip of grass just you have to either water it or just let it die out or let the weeds take over. So I, I think mowing in, in in your mind, planning things out, how to make that job easier, and then chunking out how you can shape that lawn space and create a, a pleasant area using landscape beds, using natives and trees and shrubs. I think that's a really good strategy for long-term planning. Uh, you don't want to just go out. You moved into a house and the next week you just start tearing up the lawn, Um, first get familiar with your home and and then you can start changing things and um, making sure that you're changing them at a rate that you can continue to maintain them because as Richard said, can't just mow those weeds when they're growing in among, um, say if you have a little prairie planting or a butterfly garden, you got to go in there and hand weed and maintain a mulch layer more than likely
2: until those plants get established. And I can share that's what we've done um, with part of our yard. Um, so we've been in our house four years now, almost five years. Um, and our, our hell strip, our boulevard, whatever you want to call it, that, that patch of grass in between the sidewalk and the road, that was kind of a pain to mow because we've got the power pole there, we've got some street signs. So we went through, killed off all the grass and we've put in um, some native plants, some of our native bunch grasses, uh, prairie drop seed, um, little stem side oats, grandma, stuff like that. And we've kind of interspersed some, some wildflowers um, in there, some blazing star, coneflower, some milkweed, stuff like that. Um, so this is a, we kind of did it, half of it and then half last year and we planted half of it um, this year to kind of break up the, the cost cause we did it with plugs. Um, I didn't want to do it with seeds and have to try to kind of decide if it's a weed or if it's a, one of our, desirable plants that's coming up. So, but there's definitely been a lot of weeding um, once if not twice a week and we've mulched um, and that's helped quite a bit but there's still a lot of maintenance we have to do with that to kind of get all that established.
1: So our next question, um, the person is asking my yard is full of crabgrass and dandelions. Can they treat their lawn for both crabgrass and dandelions?
3: Well that is actually a pretty um, clear and simple one to uh, divide up and answer. Uh, Crabgrass is a spring uh, uh, time treatment and while dandelions can be treated in the spring as well with their bright yellow flower you get a better result if you treat them in the late summer early fall. Getting back to crabgrass, crabgrass needs the temperature to germinate, crabgrass needs the temperatures essentially very similar to uh, field corn. So those temperatures have to get up into the the mid-60s and higher and it has to maintain that temperature for about 10 days or so of consistently being in that temperature profile just at the soil, uh, the top quarter inch to half an inch of soil where the seeds are going to sit. Um, before it'll even germinate, and then it will germinate uh, over a period of the next four to six, sometimes six to seven weeks. And if the weather is correct, crabgrass can, actually has the opportunity to could germinate all summer, but it typically doesn't. Uh, so the so you're putting down for crabgrass. We're talking about usually using something called a, a, a pre emergence These are products that are going to either prevent the seed from germinating to begin with or as it sprouts out the products typically attack the little crabgrass seed root radical as it emerges from the seed and, and uh, management is done that way. Um, parkways typically uh, seem to see a lot of can see a lot of crabgrass in them and I know in more urban settings where the streets are plowed and there's salt involved uh, this may thin out the the, uh, the desirable grasses and crabgrass is a great oppor- opportunistic type plant. It just needs a small amount of open ground where the sun hits it to germinate it and up it comes. Um, so crabgrass can be controlled uh, preventatively the easiest. Um, as a young tender plant out of the ground there are post-emergent crabgrass materials but they're more effective the smaller or the tinier that young seedling is versus a very large established plant Um, and that's and so crabgrass control is one that is typically done in the spring and I'll go back to something we've already repeated two or three times you know if you have crabgrass coming back year after year after year there's some other There's something uh, that needs to be adjusted, modified in either our care, or the culture, or the soil profile. So you're favoring the um, desirable grasses over the uh, ability of the crabgrass to germinate and and come in. And and a lot of that time, that is, if crabgrass needs sunlight to germinate, well, how about we think about mowing the lawn uh, a little bit higher? and those taller grass blades then will shade the soil and keep it darker and you're going to get less crabgrass germination. So that's kind of the story on, uh, on crabgrass. The dandelion is one of the, if you're going to use a, a, a treatment on dandelions, that's one of the easier weeds to control in our lawn. And as I mentioned, most of us think about dandelion control when we see the bright yellow flower in the spring. Um, that is not the most effective time to treat. Uh, for a couple reasons. Um, While you might control the dandelions that are in bloom and blooming, uh, all season long you get additional new dandelion uh, seedlings to sprout in your lawn. So every spring there's more dandelions. Uh, So if you really want an effective dandelion treatment, do it late summer, early fall, and you get the dandelions that were there in the spring. You, You will also get all the dandelions that sprouted and grew there all season long. Additionally, Uh, In terms of supporting our insect life out there, dandelions are one of the earliest uh, sources of energy for many of our insects that will help us out later on in the season. So if you're going to make a treatment, at least wait in the springtime until most of the dandelions or the majority of the dandelions have finished temporarily quit blooming. And then make a treatment. You're not harming the insects at all if you make your treatment in the late summer fall. The next spring, they're not there. They won't be uh, attractive. They're not going to be present. So, the, so all these insects won't be in your yard feeding on your dandelion in the springtime. They do. So, that's kind of the kind of the story with that. And like all the other things we've said, if you push to make the lawn more competitive. Uh, you'll have fewer weeds in general.
2: All right next up we have a question from Fulton County. Um, this person has just built a house and they want to seed their lawn um, and they would like to know what kind of grasses are recommended to plant um, in central Illinois and this, their lawn is going to be in full sun. All right well um, from central
3: Illinois north The predominant grass still remains the king of our lawn grasses are still hybrid Kentucky bluegrasses. This is uh, the grasses, as I mentioned, they're the cool season, uh, higher moisture, desirable grasses. And typically uh, Illinois is still considered a water-rich state in the sense that we have adequate rainfall usually during the year to support Kentucky bluegrasses, except for those times in the very heat of the summer when they would naturally go dormant. Uh, So typically I would say Kentucky bluegrasses and of that then we need to focus in on making sure we buy varieties or cultivars that are uh, disease resistant. Uh, This is a great step towards not having to worry about applying a lawn fungicide to stop uh, pythium or dollar spot or melting out or leaf spot diseases in our lawn. Um, And then the other part of that is not every hybrid Kentucky bluegrass has the same disease resistance ability. So, by mixing anywhere from three to five hybrid Kentucky bluegrasses in your mix, in your blend, as you prepare to put that out on your uh, soil that you've worked up, uh, this is the best of the kind of best of the both worlds. You get the desirable grasses you want, plus you get the disease resistance that's going to be genetically built in. The seeding rate is probably with Kentucky bluegrass is where a, seed, a pound of Kentucky bluegrass seed has approximately two and a half million seeds per pound. You don't have to use a very heavy rate. Something around anywhere between uh, say three quarters of a pound to as much as maybe a pound and a quarter is all that's really is all that's really necessary. And that rate it, it references per thousand square feet, so it doesn't take that much seed um, but you do when it comes to buying uh, seed these days you do get what you pay for these hybrid Kentucky bluegrasses with disease resistance are going to be more expensive per pound than the common Kentucky bluegrasses
1: so Richard our last question we have for you is from McDonough County and this homeowner has spots in their lawn that has uh, that keeps getting dug up by some animal overnight what do you think the animal is and what can they do to stop it?
3: Well, most mammals that enjoy eating soil insects um, are skunks and raccoons, yet their damage they leave behind is distinctly different uh, from one another. Skunks dig small, tiny, individual holes. It looks like it has the shape of a top, white at the top and kind of down to a point at the bottom maybe, only a couple inches or so deep uh, in their individual spots, uh, the raccoon with those massive claws they have will really just grab into the lawn and tear it up just tremendously. It'll kind of look like someone was trying to roll the grass up as if it was sod uh, and they can destroy many square feet in a, in a given evening and primarily both of those at that time are looking probably are looking for a grub Um, uh, they will eat uh, other other um, uh, food sources would be some of our soil beetles uh, earthworms those kinds of things but their main um, main focus at that time of year is going to be on grubs if uh, if this continues what's going on you probably I'm going to guess here for us that we're probably talking about skunks and they have a as well as raccoons, but in this case skunks, if they're small individual holes, they have a nightly search pattern that they wander about looking. And they're coming into this yard, digging a few holes, hoping they can find a grub. And if they do, they stay there and dig even more holes. So these may be just the exploratory efforts and, say, a a whole family of, say, skunks or a whole family, uh, maybe a, a younger family of even raccoons might be doing this. Um, but the damage itself is completely different. So skunk damage is kind of neat and clean, individual holes where raccoon damage is quite, quite messy. If you're asking what can they do to stop it, uh, pretty much very difficult. You cannot keep a, uh, a skunk or a raccoon from wandering into your yard at night and doing some exploratory digging. If the damage was extensive, that's probably an indicator that you that there may be a grub issue with the turf, although if the turf hasn't expressed uh, any visual signs of grub damage, uh, still not a, it's still not worthwhile to make any sort of a treatment.
1: We did learn in one of our podcasts, was it with Peggy Doe, um, that if you play a, a radio on talk radio... It will scare away the raccoons, um, but sometimes with our yards, that could probably be difficult.
3: I did, have a, I did have a neighbor that had a shed some distance from the house, and uh, you would go out at night, and it was being visited by skunks and, and groundhogs and raccoons trying to figure out if they could essentially make a nest underneath this shed. And, uh, yeah, we heard, uh, we heard talk radio for a while at all, at all times of night, throughout the night. So that does have some effect, whether or not they get used to it. Uh, but at least initially, it certainly does uh, uh, suggest that it's going to have some practicality in terms of how effective it is.
0: Well, Richard, that was, that was a lot of great information. Um, thank you for answering both our questions and the homeowner questions. Um, I I know we're all working from home right now, uh, but if folks do have any additional questions about lawns, um, they're more than welcome to get in touch with us at the Good Growing Podcast, but Richard, do you have any contact information that you would care to share?
3: Uh, at this point, of course, the best way to get a hold of me would be through the email, and I don't know if you'll have that in the credits or not, but if you don't, uh, it's, uh, H-E-N-T-S-C-H-E- at illinois.edu uh, you can also catch uh pretty much I can, i'll get uh, questions funneled through any of the master gardener help desks uh, in any of our three counties and that's way more letters and and uh Shortcuts, and you need to get here on the program. But uh, <laughs> I'm in the DuPage Kane Kendall Unit, Unit Five, and uh, you could leave a me- They could leave email messages with any of the three counties, with the Master Gardener program, or or me directly. Fantastic. Well, Richard,
0: thank you so much for being on the show today. We really do appreciate you sharing your your expertise here in mowing. And remember, folks, mow high, mow often, and keep those blades sharp. And Ken and Katie, thanks so much for being on the show. We do appreciate you spending another week here on the Good Growing Podcast.
2: Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Richard. I've got a lot of work to do on my lawn.
1: Yeah, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Chris. Definitely a lot, a lot to well, think about.
2: Yep. Yeah,
3: the, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And that's what lawn management seems to be about these days. So
0: Definitely. I, I, I do tend to see... More and more, the more you, you tinker with your lawn, the more you have to tinker with your lawn. So,
3: yep, yep. It's that's... the folks that water heavily and have the slush green lawn that usually have the grubs,
0: yep, and the disease, and, and the
3: disease so because yes. the beetle is attracted to nice green lawn, not because the lawn is green, because they, but the beetle understands that there's going to be lots of roots for the newly hatched larva to feed upon. Yep, folks. So
0: we do appreciate you, of course, the good growing listeners for doing what you do. That's listening. So thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Good Growing Podcast and keep on growing.